0: Hey, how's it going? It's going good.
1: Uh, thank you for having me. Can you hear me okay?
0: Yeah, I can hear you quite well, my friend. How are you? Doing good. How about yourself? Oh, just about the same. Um, So it's nice to like officially meet you and everything. It's really cool to have been able to talk to you, but I'm glad to be able to finally speak to you.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye.
0: So, my friend, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to the folks?
1: Yes, my name is uh, Javier Salazar Rojas. I go by the artist name, Deported Artist.
0: Well, it's nice to to meet you, Javier, like I said. um, uh, I kind of, you know, discovered your Instagram not too long ago, um, and everything, I think, I think the way i found it was uh i saw one image of yours on my discover page and then i actually had a friend of mine who tagged you or who tagged me in one of your uh posts and i've uh loved everything that you've put up since i've been following you especially that mural that you just did would you like to kind of talk about that really quick sure sure so the
1: Mural that you're speaking of is the PDT mural project. It stands for the Playas de Tijuana mural project, and what it is is a portrait of 15 people. Uh, this portrait is located on the westernmost uh, point of the border fence, so right where the border fence uh, begins in Tijuana. That's where the mural starts. Uh, the mural itself, it's 100 feet wide and 20 feet uh, tall and it has a 15 portraits pretty much each uh, individual on the mural uh, you know has his own story so there's qr codes um, next to each mural so you get a scan the qr code and then each person's uh, individual story would come up so pretty much um, the people on the mural um, all grew up in the United States. They were raised in the U.S. all their lives, and at some point in their life, they came to be deported and had to start their life over uh, in Mexico after being deported. So this uh, mural, it's meant to uh, give visibility to that. You know, when they deport you, um, when they uh, they talk a lot about deportation. But they don't really talk about what happens to us like after our deportation they don't talk they don't talk what happens to us about our deportation right so' the uh, mural project that gives visibility to that, so it kind of humanizes uh all our stories right because uh people they look at us and they're just like another person got deported it, right but um. Once they scan on on the QR code and read our stories, and it kind of gives a uh, a context to you know to each of all, of our uh, experiences. We all uh, have different experiences and ended up on the portrait, you know, after being deported for different reasons. But one thing we have in common is that you know uh, we all consider the U.S. our home.
0: that's incredible my friend and uh it's so it's so awesome to to hear that you've been able to do something like that to like you said give visibility and kind of humanization to uh to those folks um i wanted to ask were you able to meet each one of the individuals who uh you did the mural of yourself or was this like through kind of other people who you knew or stories that you kind of heard of or were you able to interview these people?
1: Yes, so um, I got to meet a couple of the people on the on the mural. Uh, We all had the opportunity to come and paint our own portraits but the thing is a lot of us we don't live we don't all live here in Tijuana so it's harder for some people to come um, join us Uh, but I did get to meet some of the people on the mural uh, one of the portraits uh that we helped paint was of my friend uh, my friend got deported uh, about five months ago He got deported through juarez but you know he's never came to Mexico in all his life so uh when he came out of here, I kind of helped him like get situated uh you know get his paperwork and and uh find housing and all that so I did get to meet some of the uh the people on the mural, just not all of them.
0: That's really dope. So then you weren't the only person who took part in painting that mural, right?
1: No, uh, we all had a uh, the like, all the, we all had the chance to paint our own portrait. Um everybody who who participated uh helped out the people who couldn't be there. Uh, But what's cool about it is that when we were painting, right, uh, we were painting at the Borderline Crisis Center. It's a a center slash shelter uh, here in Tijuana. And right now it's full of uh, uh, people seeking refuge. Uh, They're trying to get political asylum right now in in the United States, so they're kind of waiting their turn. Uh, So they're just there and since we were painting there uh, they came over to help us so what was cool about it is that you know they're there uh waiting to to get political asylum but we got to hear all of their stories while we were painting you know Uh, everybody had a different experience Um, and one thing that that really stuck out to me uh upon hearing all of their stories was that you know none of them wanted to leave their homes you know uh, people see these uh caravans and they see this uh these migrants uh, coming to the border um, and they're like, oh, you know, people, some people, they're like, hey, how come they don't stay in their own country, whatever. You know, most people, they don't want to leave their countries. Um, it's just they were forced to, you know, um, for, uh, for various reasons, you No. Know?
0: Yeah, I do. Um, <clears throat> you know, that, first of all, that's incredible that you were able to connect with those people Um, because that's another experience where you're talking about that humanizing of that that whole awful you know experience that you and others have to go through because like you were saying earlier we hear about immigration you know all kinds of people have opinions about immigration but so few of us actually know or are willing to hear the actual reality of what immigration involves what deportation involves and especially we don't want to you know actually get down and talk with the folks who have to experience that themselves so it's really awesome that you were able to talk with those people and i'm sure that it was a a fantastic uh, memory that you'll hold um i wanted to also ask just real quick was uh those you know those QR codes and the mural itself. Is it connected to any bigger projects? Like, is it to bring attention to any organizations or any movements or anything like that? Or was it mo- mostly just like a uh, kind of a statement piece?
1: Well, the um, the project itself, the uh, it is a project in itself uh, meant to bring uh, you know visibility to. People like me who have been deported uh however the same people who brought me who invited me to be part of the mural project uh they also working on another project called the uh leave no one behind mural project and that that project right is uh it's a bunch of murals uh designed to uh bring attention Uh, To the deported uh, veterans, deported dreamers, uh, deported childhood arrivals, you know, who grew up in the United States all their lives and got deported as as adults. And it's really uh, highlighting the, trying to highlight the New Way Forward Act. What it is, it's it's a bill they're trying to propose. And the bill is meant to bring the deported veterans home and also uh is a way for, for people who have uh gotten in trouble in the past uh to you know to have a legal pathway to come home so it, it's it's another uh cool project that I'm also involved with uh Leave No one behind the mural project
0: that's very cool, my friend and you mentioned you know earlier about. You know, most people do not want to leave their homes. And I think, you know, you made a good point bringing up the caravans and people's, you know, kind of way they speak about that. Um, it, it's incredible to me how few people um, recognize that immigration, uh, the act of leaving one's own home to go somewhere else, is not usually uh an experience that somebody chooses to go on for any reason other than like you said they are being forced um especially you know there's economic reasons there's religious persecution but one that seems to be like it's going to uh kind of develop further in the upcoming future and become an incredibly important topic is like uh climate immigration you know a a lot of folks are going to have to be leaving their homes due to an inability to live there because of you know the natural disasters or the temperature rising or a lack of you know kind of uh resources or any kind of like uh you know Anything that you would need to be able to live safely and sustainably in a given area, people are having to leave now because of the effects of climate change and uh, other climate crises. Um, So I wanted to ask, you know, what is it about uh, kind of the stories that you've been able to hear from not only those folks, yourself and others that you've been able to talk to about why it is that a lot of, a lot of people seem to be put in this circumstance where they have to leave their homes. Yes, yeah, so well it's
1: what it comes down to it's it's survival, right? I mean, uh we've been migrating up and down this continent for thousands of years. It, it's nothing new, you know, uh, back in the days uh when we were in tribes, you know, um uh, we would uh follow the you know follow the herds uh for hunting when um when there was droughts you know we would go somewhere where there was water was more plentiful you know so it, it's nothing new we've been going up uh migrating up and down this uh this continent for thousands of years you know uh before any man made boaters. Uh, just uh lately uh besides uh the climate change uh You know people have been migrating for because their countries have been destabilized, and you know they have no other choice you know um there's no jobs they're forced to to leave their homes for uh, to go somewhere to look uh where they're able to provide for their families you know and on top of that um uh these countries uh down here i've been uh, particularly particular mexico have been destabilized a lot lately from the cartel violence, right? So we have all these uh, guns that are coming over from, you know, U.S. manufacturers ending up in the cartel hands. And it's creating this climate of violence, you know, where uh, people are forced to to leave their homes. You know, um, the people that I, and specifically that I talk to at the shelter, I, I, you know, uh, they, they were forced to flee their homes because uh, the cartel pretty much took over the whole town. You know, it's so a lot of people, you know, they're, they're right now they're fleeing uh, from violence, you know, and and people uh, some some people are quick to judge. You know, they're like, oh, you know, how can they take their kids on on such a journey and. this and that but i mean if if the shoe if the shoe was on the other foot i mean they wouldn't hesitate to you know to do whatever to be able to provide for their children and to give their place uh the children a place a safe place to grow up
0: yeah and you know what that's kind of what really shows the hypocrisy and and the true kind of underlying racism of why it is we view immigrants in the United States in the light that we do. Um, So I wanted to ask you, my friend, would you be willing to kind of share your own experience and kind of what it is that got you started with the the Instagram handle Deported Artist, how that came to be? Yes. So you know,
1: uh, I was born here <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> I was born here in Tijuana. Uh, my, ma- my mother, she took Tijuana, me to uh, Oakland, California when I was about about three months old. Uh, so I was raised in you know in California. Uh, I, I remember I remember first day at school, like I went to school and I remember the teacher speaking to me in English. So I remember that I already spoke English at a very young age, you know. Um, I, I played with my friends who played the same games, who watched the same TV shows. I never imagined that I was uh, different uh, from them, you know, just because I didn't have a, a paper that said I was, you know, legally a, a citizen of the United States, you know. Um, when I was 11 years old, my, my mother, she brought me here to Tijuana to a family party. It was uh, my aunt's quinceañera. And uh, on the way back, you know, it was time for everybody to go home. Everybody was loading up in the, in the van. I I was ready to hop in the van, but my mom, she cut me short, and she was like, she explained to me, you know, she was like, well, you know what, uh, you're undocumented. You don't have any papers. You know, you're considered uh, illegal. So you're going to have to try to cross the border, you know, with the you know, you're going to have to try to hop the fence with your cousin. And at the time, you know, I was shocked. I was in disbelief. You know, I, I never imagined that I was undocumented. I couldn't under—I didn't understand, you know, how could a person, a human being, be considered illegal, you know? So, long, you know, long story short, I tried to cross that border that night. Um, I ended up getting caught. Uh, so, at 11 years old, I went to... Uh, a little immigration jail you know back then they just like processed me and and kicked me out so i was able to uh i was able to try it again the next night uh, i made it across the next the next night so i uh, made it back to the Walklands and my family um, you know um so i pretty much You know, grew up in Oakland. It wasn't until I was uh, 24 years old that I got in trouble, you know, uh, for the first time. I ended up going to prison, and uh, because of my prison conviction, um, it's what caused me to become deported. At the time, I was already uh, a permanent resident, Uh, but it said since uh, I committed a crime during uh, the time that I was a permanent resident that... They're taking my city, my permanent residency away. So I've been here in Tijuana for seven years already. Before um, that, you know, I have my wife and my kids. They're they're in Oakland. So it, it you know it sucks being part of a separated family. Um, you know I I repaid my debt to society. Um, you know my last three years of my prison sentence. I served it as a wildland firefighter uh, working for Cal Fire in a California prison fire camp. You know, so I I'm more than uh, repay my debt to society, but yet, you know, I'm still paying for it. You know, um, on top of uh, my sentence, you know, I, I got deported and they uh, barred me for life um, in the United States. So it kind of sucks you know that you know not not only am I going through this, but my family's going through this you know they're paying for the for this as well you know it's uh it's been hard on them, you know, having to come to visit me um every other month you know
0: that's i I could never i I'm gonna be honest with you, I don't know man, like that is so foreign to me and I'm so like incredibly astounded by that experience and how that to me it's even more astounding the fact that i know that you are not alone in your experience here and you know i um i have a partner whose family is from brazil um and for a very long time um their father stayed here in the united states and they were in brazil Um, for the first seven years of their life, they had to experience, you know, family in that way. And, you know, it's awful. And it's, as you said, it's incredibly uh, unjust in the sense that they are not solely punishing you. um, And they aren't even truly punishing you for What you have done, they are trying to honestly make you suffer um, and your family along with you um, for something which, you know, not for nothing, you more than, in that case, working for Cal Fire, um, you more than repaid your debt. And to, to then take that and turn it into now a lifelong sentence where you cannot be with your family where it is safe for you all to be, where it is home for you to be in the sense that's where you, you know, grew up and that's where your family is. Um, That's really, really incredibly, incredibly unjust. And this is nothing new. Um, This is the United States. Um, This is what it is founded on. You know, you kind of hit on the fact that like the migration had not just been, you know since the man made borders had been put there migration had been a a true you know that was how people lived for thousands of years i even had one of my questions that i wanted to ask you was how do you feel the creation of the united states as a supposed nation has hindered the centuries old tradition of seasonal migration throughout the continent um so would you like to maybe talk on that for just a moment Oh yes.
1: Um you know the United States it, it started off as a colony you know um and the the purpose of uh the the colonies you know colonies is designed with one uh, specific purpose it's a violent invasion of someone's homeland in order to enslave the you know the native population in order to exploit the land and resources. You know, so when the United States uh, was founded and and they started pushing the Monroe doctor, uh, Doctrine, doctrine. Uh, you know, from sea, they felt that you know they were entitled, um, you know, from one sea to the other to the other ocean. Um, and and after that you know, they decided, you know what? Um, we're going to close off the borders to everybody else, you know? It's like, uh, now they're calling us foreigners and I, and we're like, wait a minute, you know, how do we come? how do we become foreigners in our own land, you know? But uh, where I'm going with this anyways, uh, sometimes I start to ramble, but, you know, um, after they started building the, the border wall, you know, I not only stopped uh, or was meant to stop and hinder human migration, but it's also taking a toll on, on nature on, on the migra- migratory uh, species, you know. According to uh, the, according to uh, it was a federal environment uh, environmental protection law, they said that they couldn't um, there's parts where they couldn't, they're not supposed to build the wall because it would di- devastate the endangered species that are uh, migrating up and down. But what happened is when Trump, uh, you know, he was pushing for the wall, uh, the en- Environmental Protection Agency, they kind of threw out all the protections out the window uh, in order to you know, to give in to the ex president to you know, so they could build that wall. You know, so you know, the wall itself it's uh it's a reminder of of something that divides us as a as a nation, as a ra- as a human race. Uh but it also, you know, it hinders uh you know natural migration like Immigration
0: yeah that's that's all a really good point to make my friend um you know i think these are things that people again we want to think about things like immigration the border wall it's just a general idea we do no investigation into like what that means what implications that has for people and for nature like you said we have no concern whatsoever we're either against it or for it and we might post on facebook about it but we ultimately don't do anything past that um and i think that this you know ultimately stems from a few you know different things but as we know what is most central to the united states foundation other than uh economic reasons uh it soon became about uh, white supremacy, European supremacy, but especially supremacy of the white race. Um, and you know, it seems that the trend in the United States is quite certainly based on that white supremacy, how it developed, how laws were passed, how economic decisions were made. Um, even though so many want to deny that claim, so I wanted to ask you, how do you feel that, that white supremacy has played a role throughout the history of the Americas, both North and South?
1: I think it's uh, played a significant role. Um, you know, when they it, when it said uh, all men were created equal, um, you know, they were not talking about everybody. You know, they were specifically talking about... Uh, the colonial settlers, uh, you know, um, and the Declaration of Independence, the natives are, are called the Indian savages on there, you know? So they're, uh, it, you know, it played a, a major role. Um, and they, they like to gloss over parts uh, of that in, in history You know, um, Abraham Lincoln, Abraham Lincoln freed the slaves, right? But he also said that if he was able to do it without freeing the slaves, he would have done it. He said he understood that, you know, um, that there's always going to be a race that's, uh, on top of another, uh, or what he called superior to another. And he said that if, if it had to be one race over another, he would rather be the white race, you know? Um. And as far as uh, you know, and policies and um, in immigration policies is taking a, a big role. You know, when when I was deported, right uh, after serving my sentence, um, you know, they ran my they ran my name through a database just because my name was uh, what they called the Hispanic sounding last name. You know. Uh, and that's the only reason I ended up getting deported. If I had a a non-Hispanic, uh, a white-sounding last name, I would have never gotten deported. You know, um, it, it's it has played a a, a significant role, and I think uh, with the last president. You know, it just uh, took the turn for the worse, you know. Like, I think it's always been a problem. But I think uh, with the last president, he, he just, like, made it, you know, like, almost cool for them to come out, you know.
0: Stepped on the gas.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think that's, you know, honestly the best way to describe it. And also, you know, many folks forget also that Abraham Lincoln was also the one who ordered the execution of the Dakota 38 um, in 1862, killing 38 Dakota men. Uh, You know, that was Abraham Lincoln's order. Um, That anniversary just passed a few days ago. Um, And on top of that, just the, you know, the entire history of the development of the United States was based off of you know, not solely just a land grab, but what was also the motivation behind that was the belief that it was the white race's, you know, kind of God given duty to conquer from sea to shining sea. But also, as we know, both in Central and South America and as far out into the world as we can um so it, it is incredible how oftentimes that undertone, that kind of motivation is left out. And you know so conveniently, because then you have folks like Biden who can slip in and say some of the correct uh, things, uh, make a lot of promises uh, and, and make mention of trying to reverse the awful, awful things that Trump did uh, kind of. You know, fanning the flame of the belief that it's only the Republicans or it's only this, you know, individual who is a, a bad racist or sexist or awful person who is in our government. It's not the whole system. Um, so I wanted to ask you maybe uh, kind of with the promises that biden and his administration have made uh kind of especially surrounding the children and their families currently being held captive in ice detention facilities under the kind of approval and honestly the directive of the u.s government um how has that kind of led to a kind of disconnect or a disinterest by the the kind of mass media on a lot of the ways in which uh, immigrants and just non-white folks in general uh, as well as indigenous people how is this kind of I want to say liberalization this kind of uh, blurring of what's going on there how has that affected the overall picture in America and how people feel about this yeah so you
1: know uh, Biden he Made the promise that well, when he was running for for president that he was going to bring uh, the deported veterans home. Uh, he has yet he he's still saying he's going to do it, but he hasn't done it. Um, he said he was going to stop, uh, you know, uh, the kids in cages and families being in cages and stop separating families. Right, uh, but really, what he did is. He he stopped calling them cages and stopped and started calling them um, family units. But really, it's just a fancy word for a, another word for a cell. You know, a cell is always going to be a, a prison cell. It's always going to be a prison cell. yeah and that he has failed to decriminalize the. Uh,
0: My friend, I think we might've, I think we might've lost you. Um, Oh, there you okay. are. Oh, okay. I, I Sorry, lost man. you for a few seconds. You're okay. <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah. But I think, uh, really, um, you know, he, he hasn't kept none of his promises. He just pretty much put it, uh, put a bandaid on a, on a, on a huge gas, you know, it does nothing. Um, and I think, you know, um, what they need to do is uh, abolish ICE altogether. Um, you know, you know, ICE is is founded on ICE uh, Homeland Security was founded on uh, white supremacy, you know. And as long as uh, you know they keep working with ICE and CBP, it's 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 always going to be the same thing, no matter what you know um you can you can work with the system and expect expect the system uh like ice and the, the immigration system to change you know you have to have to destroy it and 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 you know build a new system pretty much
0: I agree a hundred percent, and I think that really with everything. That is happening all over the world. <laughs> and I know that's a lot, but you know, you you even mentioned, you know, why doesn't he just decriminalize immigration? Why is no one ever decriminalized immigration in the United States? And it's because, you know, against all the the you know the happy tones of calling the United States a, a melting pot and you know really saying that it's the diversity of america which makes it so great um we know that that is oftentimes not because uh the ruling powers in america really want that to happen in the sense that they want non-white people there but they like the cheap labor um and they really like having new people to exploit so um you know You see here a direct contradiction wherein they're not going to give human beings, people who are seeking asylum from, you know, you mentioned the cartel. We talked about climate change, but there's a million other reasons why people are running for safety, for survival into countries like the United States, which are just denying them outright or holding them in uh, these detention facilities. And it's just an awfully traumatizing experience on top of an already traumatizing experience. Um, And, you know, you brought up a few different ways in which the Biden administration said they were going to handle some things, which they have obviously not done. And I would kind of go out on a limb and say I would expect them not to. Uh, because, you know, that would just be the proper trend in a pattern which has been going on for a long time. Um, so I wanted to ask you, um, how is it that you feel that the U.S. government, uh, the United States working class people and kind of other powers outside can start combating uh, these issues within the, both the United States and kind of just around the world with what 's you know going to come to bear with things continuing to get worse across the world
1: yeah i think I think we need to start uh, in, uh consciousness right because um, you know they want it, they they have us playing their own game you know as long as we keep. Uh, you know, either voting Republican or Democrat, you know, we're always going to be part of this, uh, this, this system, you know, that's meant to be uh, enslaving us, you know, like, um, uh, when, when we come over, you know, when we, we come to the United States, when uh, somebody migrates to the United States, right, they expect you to assimilate, right, they expect you to, you know, what if you're if you're gonna be a successful American, right? Uh, you gotta have uh, a job, a nine-to-five job, a uh, white picket fence, uh, two cars, you know, and that's the vision of success uh, they give to you, you know. So now you're just uh, pretty much enslaved to to capitalism because you're. Working nine to five, trying to achieve all these things to because it's somebody else's vision of success, right? But, um, you know they're trying to get us to lose our culture when when we come and assimilate. Like we have to, and then we have to walk this uh this fine line, right? We gotta, we can't make any mistakes. Um, you know, because the first mistake we you know we make, you know, we get deported. Um, So, yeah, it's, I think uh, we all need to, you know, take consciousness and remember that the power uh, lies in the people, you know, and not in the hands of the few.
0: Hell yeah, that's definitely the point that we always want to make central to any kind of you know, political or social or economic, you know, kind of consciousness raising is the fact that as it stands, you know, they want to convince you that we're powerless. They do everything that they can to make us feel powerless. And, you know, in a lot of ways, make us actually powerless, make us poor, make us, you know, legally bound to what it is they say. Like you said, you make one mistake, you're gone. A lot of folks, that's what happens because, you know, a lot of folks go a long time between getting, you know, kind of a permanent residency or, uh, you know, a green card of sorts between going from that and being an actual nationalized or naturalized citizen. Um, uh, My partner only recently um, was able to finally, you know, complete that process. And that's something that a lot of people struggle with because another thing people don't recognize is that's fucking expensive. Like that whole process is insanely expensive. It's time consuming. It requires a lot of things, which, you know, if you are fleeing some sort of persecution, some sort of danger, it's not like you're, you're doing so with your, you know, everything, your bearings kind of set. You're not like kind of doing it because you you have the the free will and the want to do it, you're usually in a bad situation, or at least in one that makes that whole process so much more difficult. Um, On top of all of that, um, you know, like you said, the the ideology makes a lot of us kind of play their own game. Not Not only do we participate in the system of voting, but the ways in which we think about trying to correct these problems kind of still uphold the same power structure where we're just asking our ruling uh, elites, our supposed representatives, to pass laws and legislation to give kind of money or take money away from certain things in order to kind of uh, cultivate uh, a better situation for the people themselves. But as we see time and time again, the interests between the people in charge and the people who they're in charge of are two very different things. So never is it possible for us truly to get what we need as the people from the group of people who are in power, because again, it's completely contradictory to what it is that those groups want. That's the whole reason why they're in power is because what they want is power. Um, And, you know, the whole situation oftentimes is thought about very simplistically. And, you know, you even used the term earlier man-made border. You know, I I, uh, have listened to a few really good speeches uh, by a few different people who talk about uh, kind of the ridiculousness of borders and how, like we were talking about earlier, it not only, you know, imposes on the natural right of human beings to migrate uh as need be but it also uh stops uh nature uh animals different kind of waterways um any form of natural development from going forward because there are these man-made borders um i wanted to kind of bring that to attention and ask you you know how is it that you feel we oftentimes think about this problem incorrectly? And how do you think we can start correcting how we kind of discuss and go about trying to solve the issues surrounding the kind of abuses of folks who try to immigrate?
1: Yeah, so we have to remember that, uh, you know, people have been, migrating up and down this continent for thousands of years before uh, the United States even existed uh, as a country or, you know, before any, like I said earlier, before any uh, man-made border existed, uh, you know, so all this uh, uh, new way of thinking that, uh, you know, the United States brought uh, as a country, uh you know, we have to remember that. You know, um, we you know, there's people people were doing this migrating for long. You know, thousands of years before the United States. So, uh, you know, who has the right to tell somebody that they can't migrate? You know, when migration is is essential to life. You know, how can we tell somebody? They cannot migrate when, you know, they are they have nothing to eat in their country or, you know, there's no jobs or they're fleeing, you know, some type of violence. What gives us the right to tell them, you know, who can and can't come to this country, you know, when this, uh, when the United States was funded on migration, you know, um, without migration, there would be no United States. So... I think uh, we just have to sit back and really uh, open our eyes and kind of remember the like the real values the it was supposed to be built on, and now what it is today you know
0: And I think more than anything we gotta get with folks you know like ourselves who you know need. To either be educated about these things or who are looking for organizations or outlets to try to do some sort of action uh, or, you know, kind of uh, attempts to correct these issues. We want to be able to connect these folks to one another. Um, And we just want to start building, you know, real community based on, like you said, like human values and, uh, you know, what it really means to be a human being rather than this made-up kind of existence that we have now where it's, uh, you know, all about profit, all about exploitation, and all about kind of uh, domination of the kind of minute few over the, the vast many. Um, but, yeah, my friend, I wanted to ask you, you know, do you have any kind of closing thoughts? Do you have anything that you kind of wanted to say before... We really get wrapping it up here. Anything that was on your mind that we didn't really hit on? Yeah. uh,
1: So uh, I never really got uh, around to say why I called myself deported artist. So, uh, you know, I got deported. And, you know, when I first got deported, you know, being out here in Tijuana, uh, you know, being a deported person comes with the stigma, right? Uh, Out here, you know, you kind of get discriminated for being deported. Uh, you know, people, they look at you, they, you know, they consider you, uh, you know, somebody who's on drugs, somebody who's been in prison. You know, the cops, uh, once they know that you're, you've are you been deported, they they kind of target you for extortion. You know, they know that you have family in the United States, so they try to find any reason to take their money and things like that, right? So for the most part, when you're out here, you kind of, and you're deported, you try not to, to let it be known, right? But what what happened is, you know, I realized that, you know, there not only, it was not only me, but there was there's thousands of us, out here that have been deported, right? And we're kind of like living in the shadows. So if if we don't speak up, and nobody speaks up, we're always gonna be, you know, living in the shadows. And if we don't tell our story, uh, we don't tell our story. Somebody else is gonna tell our story for us. You know, so we have to. If somebody has to speak up. You know, somebody has to give a visibility, uh, give a voice to, to all those who can't speak up, you know. So that's why I called myself a deported artist. And uh, I used my artist platform uh, to kind of fight for immigration reform. So I encourage everybody, you know, um, who's listening right now, uh, you know, to check out Check my check me out on Instagram on Facebook. You know, Reported artist. Um, also to uh, you know to take consciousness, you know, take action. You know, uh, you could call your congressman. You could uh, vote in favor of immigration reform. You know, you could support the New Way Forward Act. You know, so there's plenty of ways you, uh, the public could support. You know, um, and also it's I think it's important that we teach. Uh, The new uh, generation, you know, because we've been um, educated in school uh, a certain way, but I think it's time that we really uh, start educating ourselves, you know, because they're only teaching us one part of history when we should be knowing, um, you know, the full story.
0: That's a great point, my friend. And I'm so glad that you took the moment to share uh, about your, you know, your name. That's really dope. Um, And that's genuinely the attitude that we're trying to cultivate on the show. You know, it's called In Defense of Liberation because on the show, uh, we're educating about and working towards, uh, you know, true liberation um, for all people because that is what human beings deserve. They deserve to be free truly free they deserve to have you know kind of the freedom to exist to to roam the world um to be free in their relations to be free in the way they live their lives um and as we know this is not true for a majority of the world so that's why we do the show and that's why i'm so glad to have been able to have you on my friend it was so great to meet you um to be able to hear your story and to be able to share that with folks. So, you have Instagram and Facebook. Is there anything else you'd like to plug, my friend? Anything at all that people could go check out? Yes. <clears throat>
1: um, so, uh, I have my Instagram and Facebook. Um, I also um, sell my artwork um, on my wife's Instagram. It's Hijas del Maiz. Um, we also sell stuff that um, we bring back from. Uh, that she brings back from Mexico. And we do this in order to finance our trips together. You know, um, being uh, separated and her coming to see me every other month, it gets expensive. So we use that uh, in order to uh, support our family visits together. So uh, you guys could also check out uh, on Instagram as hijasdelmaiz. Check that out.
0: And we'll definitely include that in the show notes. Um, I'll have you send me that link after uh, we finish recording. But again, my friend, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, Thanks for talking. Uh, Thanks for meeting with me. And I hope to be able to discuss with you more uh, and to be able to, you know, talk more about not only your experience, but everything that we're both uh, passionate about. Um, So thank you again for coming on. I hope you have a lovely rest of your evening.
1: Thank you Josh. Thank you for having me. I uh, really appreciate uh, really appreciate you having me, inviting me uh, and having me here today. Thank you.
0: Of course, my friend. Anytime. Uh you have a great rest of your night and we'll catch you later. You too. All right. Peace. Bye.